This week on a lively experiment, trouble continues to follow a local mayor, but voters may have the final say. And another speed bump for the Providence school system. A lively experiment is generously underwritten by. For more than 30 years, a lively experiment has provided insight and analysis of important political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm John Hazen White Jr., and I'm proud to support this great program in Rhode Island PBS. Joining us this week, Brown University political science professor Wendy Schiller, Bill Bartholomew, host of the Bartholomew Town podcast, and former chairman of the Rhode Island Republican Party, Brandon Bell. Welcome everyone and thank you for spending part of your weekend with us. With allegations of extortion and fraud, you might think that would be enough to persuade an elected official to step down. In the city of Fall River, embattled Mayor Jaisal Correa is defying a vote by the city council to remove him. His case has raised many issues in what seems to be uncharted territory. Wendy, let me begin with you. I think the best line I think came from the city council president. He said, this guy makes Buddy Cianci look like a priest. I'm not sure whether that's true or not, but it raises some issues about, you know, incapacitation and all of that. Yeah, I was thinking about the buddy effect, you, you know, uh, I, the Rhode Island tradition of having voters accept a little bit of corruption just for the public good. You know, Buddy Cianci transformed the city of Providence, and I think with it, uh, the state of Rhode Island and the national imagination. And there was a cost to that. He went to jail, and he was willing to go to jail. Well, he didn't have a choice, but he went to jail, and then he came back out. And I think this is, you gotta, you do the crime, you pay, you know, you have to do the time. So th that he's defying that, he, you know, the city council is, you know, frankly, grounds for physical removal. I mean, you've got to get him literally out of the office. I don't think he has the right to stay and fight that, given what he's, um, what he's done. What about the argument from a legal perspective, innocent until proven guilty and incapacitation, he says, goes toward mental, physical, I'm not incapacitated. Now, in the court of public opinion, he may be. What do you think legally? Well, I think, I think legally, you know, again, remember the premise that we'd rather see 30 guilty people go free than one innocent person go to prison. The presumption of innocence is a great presumption. It can't be rebutted until you're in court. And so I think that, um, is he incapacitated? I mean, if, if what they say is true, um, first of all, I think it's an insult to Buddy Cianci because this guy, the brazen <laughs> nature in which, in which he's But he would have been himself, a little bit more discreet. A little more discreet about it. And uh, it's a kleptocracy that uh, the way Fall River has been run, it sounds like. And if that's the case, um, and again, innocent until proven guilty, but um, one might argue that this is an incapacity um, and, and does he have the ability. Uh, I give a lot of credit to the U.S. Attorney in Massachusetts. Andy Your buddy, Lally. Andrew Lilling. And I'll tell you, if, uh, if I'm a politician in Massachusetts and I've jaywalked, I'd be worried right about now. Yeah, he's <clears throat> all over it. Yeah, the U.S. Attorney who the mayor says is his political rival trying to become governor of Massachusetts on this case, you know, I think it's somewhat alarming, the process here, right? You have a situation where the mayor's arrested less than a year ago on the Snow Owl app whole deal. Now you got the second arrest and there's just not a mechanism to get him out of power. I mean, this guy, even if he loses, even if he comes in third in the preliminary election, he's a total lame duck in every sense. And that's he, Tuesday. That's th this coming Tuesday. Tuesday. Uh, the guy seems committed to be the mayor until January, no matter what. So 
what a breakdown in process when you look at the, the how Fall River is able to manage a situation like this. It the, just seems like it's not there. The other issue that's come up about this whole marijuana, to, uh, that he had to issue a letter of non-objection, and it was one person. And so he's selling these things, and that caught Charlie Baker's attention. Like, we really need to, like, review this process, right? Well, yeah, and I also just think in terms of if you're a voter in Fall River or whatever your allegiances are, you know, our business is going to come to Fall River. Fall River needs all the help it can get in terms of economic development. You don't want to do business there. You, there's no, there's instability at the very best, and then there's corruption and crime at the very worst. And so if you're a voter, you say to yourself, well, maybe he's getting railroaded, maybe he's innocent, but is this good for the city of Fall River over the short and long term? And it's not. So when a politician sees being effective, then the politician has to go. But we've seen this with the two... Uh, um, Kevin Jackson and Luisa Ponte, because a yes. lot of people, and some people said these are guys of minimal means. Now, Jaisal Korea, I guess somebody said he was living out of a car, somebody's house, he's had a lot of financial instability. You wonder if it's just, I'm getting the paycheck and I'm getting the medical until January, and I don't care what you say, That's right? That's practicality, I suppose, but, you know, gut instinct, this guy's trying to build a persona, he's got a documentary crew following him around right now. <laughs> It just seems otherworldly at this point. You know, we talk about what Netflix series are you going to watch next. I'm, I'm watching Fall River. And I, I'm selfishly, I don't want this to end because it's really, it's fascinating. It's incredible what he's actually doing or, or allegedly doing. And so, look, the voters need to, need to speak up. It's or, almost like you read those, uh, those uh, movie reviews and you're like, are we watching the same movie? Yeah. You listen to him and he's like, totally, everything's fine here. Look the other way. There's no man behind the curtain, right? Yeah. Yeah, and it's and it's a disservice. I mean, it's just a disservice. People are struggling. People are working hard. They're paying taxes to the city of Fall River. They're trying to make. They're trying to keep their houses. They're trying to keep this community alive. And this guy's treating it like garbage. And they have to see that. They have to understand that it's disrespectful to them. And I'd like uh, to the see. Way he's behaving. I want to see what happens with these dispensaries as well. Who paid the bribes? Exactly. And because that to you me, hear nothing on that end. Who are these people? Who are these people? And you know, again, you know, we've seen in Rhode Island where. Uh, people who have paid bribes have gotten off uh, one fairly recently uh, claiming that they were, you know, the extortion was economic duress. And it's like, he, they need to take a really close look. And by the way, he wrote, what was it, 14 non-opposition letters? Right. So, and he said there were only going to be six. So it's like the liquor licenses back in the day when they had a cap. All right. Uh, a lot of news in the gambling front, uh, sports betting. Um, a bit of a setback for uh, some, including somebody on this set. Uh, let's, Brandon, you set the table about, sure. so you guys and Joe Larissa, you were challenging saying that the sports betting wasn't even legal before the voters went to the polls. You think it's a matter more of process than substance, but tell what the judge said this week because he, he disagreed with what you said. Sure. Yeah. So that we're addressing the issue of what the judge, the judge kicked us out on standing, you know, uh, Joe Larissa and I are the attorneys for Dr. Dan Harrop. And, you know, we're addressing the issue. Um, he didn't, uh, it's not with prejudice. It's not that we can never bring the case again. And uh, we're addressing the issue, like, immediately. And I think that, uh, ultimately, I believe that it will be heard on the merits. Either way, it's going to go to the Supreme Court of Rhode Island. Why are you pushing this so hard? So, you know, we're pushing it. We have a client who wants us to push it, um, for, for starters. Um, but also, from a good government perspective, I believe it's, it's, it's very important not to disregard the the constitution. It shouldn't be up to the politicians. It should be up to the people. There's a very express provision in Article 6, Section 22, which says that any expansion in the form of gambling needs to go to the voters. And here's the big thing. It's absurd to believe if anyone believes that the voters in 2012 or 2016 approved sports betting, forget about mobile and all the other expansion, but actual sports betting, when it was illegal in 49 states, 
it's ridiculous to believe that that was approved. I, I think that it definitely should have been before the voters this last November, and that would have just resolved all of the, the, the questions that would have satisfied um, the lawsuit that the, the GOP, quote-unquote, is bringing forth here. Um, and, you know, I just think that it would have reassured lawmakers and Rhode Islanders in general that this is something that the vast majority of the state actually wants. Um, the fact that it didn't go before the voters leaves these gray areas, I suppose. Now, at the same time, you know, at the end of the day, mobile sports betting is going to continue to be uh, rolled out more and more in Rhode Island and throughout the country. I don't think there's any denying that sports leagues are basically set up for this infrastructure now going into the future. But So it's good for Rhode Island to be at the forefront. But yeah, process. Again, process was not necessarily the right means to get it done. Yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> a little eye roll there. Yeah, well, I just I think it's so unfortunate the extent to which Rhode Island increasingly relies on gambling, on the lottery, on things that are not good for you generally. You know, you can, oh, I'll keep it under control. I'm not going to lose my house. I'm not going. But you look at the people who can least afford it, and you think of all the ways that states around the whole country are just making so much money from this, and it's a bit of a Ponzi scheme, particularly the lottery. And so this is what you worry about: that being so, riding on the backs of people who can't afford to lose the money and hoping they lose the money, because then you make money. And what's scary is, is that Governor Raimondo has recently said, well, wait until we get a virtual casino on your cell phone or on your iPad. That's kind of scary. I'm not opposed to sports gambling. Um, I'm not personally opposed to betting on sports. Uh, I might have had a bookie once or twice, but I might, you know, <laughs> legal sports betting, I'm not personally opposed to it. It's the process. We have a constitution. If you're not going to follow the constitution, What's the point? Throw the knock You hit the larger issue, though, and we talked about this last week, is that government's not nimble. It's not like we can say, oh, let's bring in five businesses to, you know, so if that revenue really does go down, maybe sports gambling will help mobile phone, but we've seen this huge hit with Twin River and Encore. Where do we make up that deficit? We, we can't. You can't. Right. And also the people spending time gambling are not working and producing something theoretically. So it's not it's a time soak and takes you out of the labor workforce. And then there's the issue of the uh, young men and women who play college sports who aren't compensated for all the money that people make betting on college sports. And that's a whole nother discussion. But a lot of these students come from families of limited means and they're playing, honestly. And lots of people are making money off them and they're not getting paid. And that's a whole nother thing that I think is going to get more and more in the public mind as more and more of this gambling becomes really right in your, you know, in your face on your phone. All right. We're into week two of the Providence school system. A little bit of a speed bump, as we had said in the open. Uh, the interim superintendent, I think, had good intentions. Fran Gallo, she spent 187000 on what, what she thought was an inspirational book. Some Teacher said there's some religious overtones. She pulled it. People can read the book, but it's not required reading. Is this much ado about nothing, or is it, or is it an issue in your mind? Well, you know, it's it's unfortunate that the money was spent. You know, 187,000 dollars is a lot, right? Right. Absolutely. When you look at all the the infrastructure challenges, I guess the intent was good. To me, it shows maybe a disconnect between uh, the interim superintendent and, you know modern day literature and some of the other options that are out there that would appeal to kids, you know, that that probably would have zero risk of having a religious overtone. I mean, there's plenty of she the, the commissioner did cite the LeBron James book, although she wasn't able to identify LeBron James by name. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I think that disconnect, an example of where you've got to close the gap between the people who are setting the agenda, setting curriculums, even assigning books in these high schools 
and what the kids want to read and what teachers are comfortable teaching. I think that conversation needs to be, I guess it needs to be evaluated and, or reevaluated. My vote would have been catcher in the rye, but I'm not sure that would have been <laughs> flown uh, in this day and age. You're, d you're uh, dating yourself. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Holden uh, Caulfield was my hero back in the day. So I'm a, I brought a prop. Uh, there you go. Today. I was wondering what that notebook was. The Constitution. Yeah. Oh, is it from Rhode Island? Because I want to give that to the uh, other side of my case. I think, when I, you know, I think every child, every student in high school ought to be assigned the Constitution of the United States and the Rhode Island Constitution. And they may not want to read all of it, but they need to know what it says and what their rights are. And I think that's sort of a non-debatable thing. And if you're going to assign anything, plus you can get it for free. And I'm, it may sound dated, but that's what I think should be required reading. I, I actually, when I first heard about the 187th, obviously, you know, it, it, it's like, what? You know, and I, and I thought, I was thinking that Baltimore mayor and maybe there's some scandal involved. And then I'm like, that's Fran Gallo. She's above board, and I really, I just honestly think it might have been a little bit of an error in judgment, but also, I didn't read the book, I'll admit it, but I didn't read the Cliff Notes either, but I, I can say that I don't find a, a couple references to a higher authority and a motivational book personally offensive Well, she at was all. kicking herself yesterday with Dan York on the radio saying, you know what, maybe I should have just said, you know, I know some of you are offended, but this is the decision I'm going to make. And I think, and she has enough capital to be able yes. to do that. That's and I'm, so maybe yes. a couple of teachers. So now she, it looks like, oh, I'm pulling back. And she said some of the kids have read the book. The problem is it just overshadows everything they're trying to do now because yeah. the, this is, you got, of all the problems they have, right. this is probably not the one she thought was going to be the one. $187,000 is a Plus, lot of money. Yeah. And so that should have given pause right then and there. So can we do this more cheaply? Is there something else we can do? Is there some other educational experience that they can all have in common, they can share, that the teachers are on board with, that won't cost us $187,000? What about the larger issue of the mayor kind of wanting to have it both ways? There is... Um, he filed a letter of non-objection. It sounds like the Fall River case, doesn't it? Yeah. I'm not going to object to the state coming in for an intervention. There was no money that passed hands on that. For right. um, and then there's a group coming forward and he says, well, I'm not objecting to the objectors. What do you want here, Mayor, right? Right. That's, there, there's a little bit of you know, lack of clarity. I sat down with Commissioner Infante Green this week and asked point blank, who's in charge? You know, at, at the end of the day, if, if you're going to have an org chart, 3 o'clock in the morning, a text message comes out and a decision needs to be made. And the commissioner said, you know, legally, she's in charge, but she wants to... Not yet. Well, yeah, <laughs> right. Well, let's, let's find, you know, I, I thought it was today. At 10 yeah. o'clock in the morning, I'm okay. pretty sure. So, um, but uh, the, the question is, how much of a collaborative effort does she want to in, at least try with the mayor? And I think that the mayor is in some ways working both sides of this Don't you think debate. she's fed up with him and it's like, come on, I mean, don't, we are working both sides. Let me just get in there and do the job. I don't know. What do you think? Well, you, you know, we don't know if Jorge Alorza will run for governor. We don't know. We've heard that he's considering it. That would be a reporter's that'd, dream. That would so be great for the Republicans, if, too, by the way. If, if, if he's thinking about running, and, you know, he'd, he'd face a number of very strong challengers, I think, uh, in the primary. But when you think about it, distancing yourself from the fate of the province school system and saying, oh, well, the state's taking care of it now, but you don't want to look like you abandoned them right. is a pretty smart move for somebody who's thinking of trying to go statewide two years from now. Because if it doesn't work, he can say, well, they came in and they didn't fix right. it. And it wasn't my fault even. They couldn't fix it. So if you think he's got great higher ambition, this is actually a pretty smart thing to do.
Maybe Baby Omar gave him the advice. And, oh, and maybe that's the next one. We were, so let's talk about Baby Omar. Now, Michelle Smith, who we had here last week, I said, why couldn't you have broken this story before you came on Lively? She said, I wanted to. Um, if, you, if you have been living under a rock and you haven't heard the mayor at a press conference, often his young son, Omar, is with him. And this has raised a lot of issues. You know, he's trying to pr- present this. This is a progressive way of parenting. Anybody, Brandon, who's had to deal with children, child care, uh, sickness, conflicts of scheduling is pulling their hair out. And I don't know what message is being sent, especially to city workers who may not be able to take their own kids to City Hall. Right. I don't you know. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad Michelle did that piece, you know, and, and what you know really made me think about it was months ago when uh, baby Omar appeared at a, a hearing on expanding abortion rights. And, you know, I thought to myself, OK, well, maybe. He didn't have childcare, but his uh, mom of baby Omar was right next to uh, dad. Uh, and so you hear goo goo gaga and you're talking about expansion of abortion rights. To me, again, I'm against abortion, but it's it's a depraved mind. How to, long do to, we call him baby Omar? I mean, will he be I, seven uh, and we'll call him baby he, Omar? <laughs> I, I think that's the thing. I mean, you have a goo goo gaga and you're talking. And, and again, this goes along with uh, the, the state senator who said that my heart is filled with joy and the, the, the cheering in the, in, the, in the galleries that we've talked about but in this, the past. But, but this issue, going back to sort of what children who are um, and people being able to take care of them and particularly affects women typically more than men still. And the idea of maybe the state and the city and government should start thinking very seriously about uh, providing better daycare options for their employees. But do you think that's that what people think when they daycare. see him? I mean, that I issue, think I agree I with wish, you. Right. I think they wish, I wish I could bring my kid to, and if I have to go to a meeting, there's somebody who's a staff member or an mm-hmm. assistant who can take care of my child for an hour while I go to a meeting. Whether it's distracting the mayor, I think that's the bigger question. Can you do this job fully, 100%, if you're also um, taking care of a toddler? Yes, because so, you're at home on Wednesdays and you're calling into the meetings. Well, I wish I, mean, I could call into court right, on so, But I think this is a question of equity, most fair, and also efficiency. Would the workforce be better and more efficient if their child was a block away or two blocks away and they could go see the child at lunchtime? I mean, I'd be willing to pay for that as a taxpayer. I just think that's better for the community, better for families. So it shouldn't just be the prerogative of the mayor to be able to do it. If everybody uh, could do it, I think it would be better. And so I know it'd be very expensive, but I think you get a better, uh, more efficient workforce and the burden of child care, particularly economic burden of having to miss work, would not fall so squarely on the shoulders of women. And look, this may be phased out as Omar ages, right, and becomes more mobile. It goes to the Providence schools. Exactly, right? And and particularly, though, it becomes more mobile, and I think that was cited in the Michelle Smith piece, the idea that, you know, when you have a, a young kid, an infant, or, you know, I don't have kids, so I don't know what the correct description would be of someone Omar's a toddler. age. A toddler at this, at this point, I suppose. Um, you know, yeah, the, 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 the noises, the, the, it creates a dynamic that may make some people uncomfortable. I do think the mayor, though, is obviously going out front in a demonstrative way and, and just saying, hey, look, um, he wanted universal pre-K, no question about that, and he's making a, a, a statement, you know, very, very plain and simple to me, that, look, child care in today's world is extremely expensive. It's a, a burden potentially on your career if you have children male or female, and we've got to address that as a society. So I think it's a, 
it's a philosophical move. Let me just say, as the parent of twins who are now grown, I think of being in that position. And here's my personal opinion. I think it's a disservice to the child because I think of all the time. Now, we had our kids in pretty good daycare or we were taking care of them. That one-on-one, the colors, the reading, all of that. He's not doing that. He's not doing his job if he's doing that properly. And the kid is not getting good, to me, stimulation. I don't know what goes on hour to hour. But if he's just dragging him around from press conference to press conference, I, I don't know, as a father, what do you think? Yeah, no, listen, I, I you know, I, I guess I was privileged to be able to have my kids go through daycare, um, you know, including kindergarten, um, full-time kindergarten. And um, I, I don't know, I, th- I think it was, uh, I felt bad for my friends who had their kids at home because my child was advancing much faster. Right. But, but uh, I mean, seems- this is, I, as Bill points out, this will change as Omar grows. And I just feel like you can't get into that dodgy territory of judging people's choices about how mm. they raise their children and what choices they make there. However, if you are the if mayor the and duly elected. Time, of course you well, can. Right, exactly. So, but, but then do you want to pay for the mayor's child's daycare? I mean, if the taxpayer's dime, if that's the, the point you're making. Right. So I think we have to wait and see how the mayor handles it as the child grows older. But it raises a much bigger issue that I hope becomes part of the public debate. All right. We want to talk about the Democratic debate. Of course we do. But uh, let's go to uh, outrages first. Bill, what do you have? I actually have a couple of kudos, really one kudo to some citizens groups and that I've seen out um, activists, I guess you'd say, out at the State House and in front of Newport City Hall earlier this week. I was at the State House during uh, the Sunrise Movement's uh, climate change uh, rally. Um, lots of kids, matching T-shirts. They all knew the same chants. Great-looking banners. Um, I bumped into several state office holders who were impressed by the energy there. Whether you agree or disagree with what they're advocating for, which is to move away from fossil fuels, put, putting pressure on the governor to do that. Um, you know, just nice to see organized action. Also in front of Newport City Hall, again, with the T-shirts, advocating for a moratorium on hotel development. Look. You know, you can only complain on Facebook for so long before you actually have to get out and interact with the people who are making the decisions. So kudos. Great. Wendy, what do you have? I don't know why the mayor of East Providence gets to go on vacation to Portugal and bring staff. I don't understand that. Annie, oh, I paid for it with campaign money. Campaign money is still taxpayer dollars. Taxpayers pay taxes, and then if they choose to express their political support, they make a campaign donation. That's still money that they work hard to earn, and they give it to the mayor in order to facilitate his mayorship, not his trip to Portugal. And I thought it was outrageous. I didn't care, you know, that he claimed that he was trying to facilitate relations with Portugal. We have a really good, strong, healthy Portuguese community in Rhode Island. I'm not sure we all have to fly across to Portugal to make that happen. I thought it was ridiculous, outrageous. Campaign money should not be spent on personal vacations. Given what's going on in East, uh, at, uh, at uh, TF Green Airport, if they can bring one airline mm-hmm. in, maybe, they'll be, uh, maybe that'll be a successful trip. I, I give a kudos to Brian Amaral for that story. That story was very, very well done and eye-opening, because don't forget, you got to Maury and Lawson also taking advantage of their campaign funds in some nature. Uh, so I'm outraged, shockingly. <laughs> My outrage is um, our governor, Gina Raimondo, jumping up and down about this deal with IGT, jumping up and down because it impacts the people that she cares about. But what did she do with UHIP? She didn't care about the people that it impacted. That's why she wasn't as, you know, jumping up and down crazy about the whole thing. So, you know, it, it impacts the IGT thing impacts her national network. It impacts her, her business associate and buddy, Don Schweitzer. And when all is said and done, 
Um, I think we should stop calling her, her our chief executive. She should be the networker in chief because that's really what she's all about. And if people don't realize that after five years that it's all about her national ambitions, this IGT thing should open their eyes. All right, uh, let's go to the Democratic debate last night. Folks, if you're not following Wendy Schiller on Twitter, you're missing, <laughs> a, you're missing a good show. You go back and forth maybe between the president and Wendy, and you'll be fully uh, entertained. I said before the show I was watching a little bit of Monday Night Football, or Thursday, Thursday Night yeah. Football, a little bit of the Red Sox, and then what I missed, Wendy filled in the gaps. Uh, so let's pull back at 30,000 feet. Your general thought about now they've narrowed it down. They well, had this is the big, the big takeaway is how quickly the Democrats have actually narrowed it down. So all the Democrats were you know, freaking out in early June. Oh, 25 people running, 26 people running, what are we going to do? Well, it's only early September, and you had three frontrunners, and physically on ABC they put them really in front and center, and they spent the first almost 20 minutes with them. With them. And it made everybody else look as if they were auditioning for VP. So I think whether the voters follow this pattern, but you have to think fundraising, contributors, donors will follow the pattern. And everybody else is trying to break out. But I think it looks like this is just going to be a big brawl between those three people. But what do you think about ABC? Should they be doing that? Because is it worth... Now, the, the undercard people would say, I need the time and the exposure to be able to get. Or is ABC really doing the voter... And I don't know about this. The voters a service because it's like, well, let's hear from the front runners in depth what they have to say. Well, do know, I care about I what Andrew recall, Yang says. I don't recall the networks and cable doing this in the Republican debates when there were 17 people still in the race in September. They had two, you know, levels, 7 o'clock and right, 8 o'clock at right, night. Right. I don't recall them physically placing the front runners in the middle and spending more time on them well until well into the later fall. So I'm not sure that that, you know, that that's legitimate to do now. I thought it was interesting how everybody else tried to break out. And it's a big test. Can you make the most of your moment? And a few people did. I thought Joe Biden came out really, I mean, he was like... He was much better than his last debate. Well, but so was Elizabeth Warren. Were you watching or reading her tweets? I was, re- <laughs> I, was, I was sleeping because it cured my insomnia. <laughs> oh, please. But, be- <laughs> but actually, no, you know what was really telling to me, besides Wendy's tweets were awesome, um, so follow Wendy Schiller. Um, what I will say is, is that um, I did not hear one thing, and maybe I missed it, I didn't hear one thing about the economy. Right. And, and you know why? Because the economy is really good. Thank you, President Donald J. Trump. And they can't talk about the economy because record levels of you know, lowest unemployment, lowest black unemployment, lowest Asian unemployment. You can't talk about these things. You have to talk about all these wild, a lot of so crazy socialist ideas. Not all of their ideas were that crazy and socialist. Brandon, what and, about the deficit? And they, did they talk about it? No, what uh, about the deficit? Oh. What? You are the party of GOP deficit <laughs> control, and the deficit always explodes when you have a Republican yeah, it, president. It's like because you want an R next to your president's <laughs> name. That little thing called the deficit that's going to saddle four more generations. I'm looking at your kids and grandkids, right? I'm looking at the growth, and I'm looking at the growth, uh, and I'm saying, and, and you'll be dead by the time you have to worry about and, the deficit. Go ahead. I wish no ill to you. The top up, you know, economics, or pardon me, the bottom to top economics. Uh, you know, on the ground, the average person, you know, if I, I live just down the street from here in, uh, in Elmwood, you know, I'm certain that the vast majority of the people in my neighborhood would not agree that the economy is in great shape. So I think that... Well, in Rhode Island, it's not. Well, certainly. We're always not But uh, what are we, first in, last out of a recession, right? I think that right now, as you say, those VP candidates, everyone obviously, you see Beto, he's going to be doubling, tripling down on gun legislation. Uh, 
Castro is going to triple down on his age and his, uh, you know, the fact that he's not Joe Biden. I guess that seems right, to be but his. Don't you think he it. made a mistake last night? Absolutely. With that? I mean, I think no question about it. No I mean, question. That remark was it, totally uncalled for. Uncalled for. There's a disrespectful aspect. Making to it, it sound like Joe Biden's losing his mind because right. he said right. something different than he did two it, minutes it, before. It's not much right. different than President Trump in terms of just making, you know, trying to get a, an, an outrageous comment mm-hmm. in to to get a jab rather than a policy position. You know. Well, handicap, I know we're a year ahead. Yeah. If it does come, I mean, who who could take on President Trump at this point? I mean, is Joe Biden kind of solidifying or does he still have some issues he's got to deal with? I think this. I, I think the, the front facing of the Democratic Party, uh, Joe Biden being at the head of the ticket or, you know, I, Elizabeth Warren has some negatives. They're not as high as Hillary's. She's done much better on the campaign trail in person than anybody thought she would. But I do think the key things are African-American turnout was much lower in 2016. And if they Democrats do not get African-American turnout, they cannot win in 2020. So what you do with that is what the party has to decide, front runner or VP. But you've got to engage African-Americans if you look at the swing states to win this election. You get the last 15 seconds. I do? Yeah. Yeah. No, I Don't think, blow uh, it. <laughs> I think out of the 10 candidates on that stage, I, I can't see how Donald Trump loses. And anybody paying attention to these, these polls that are out there right now should think back to 2016. All right. We're saving the tape. So let's, uh, let's see a year from now. Folks, thank you for joining us. That's all the time we have. Wendy and Brandon and Bill, you make it a very fast half hour, but a lively one. Thank you for joining us. We hope you come back here next week as a lively experiment continues. Lively Experiment is generously underwritten by. For more than 30 years, A Lively Experiment has provided insight and analysis of important political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm John Hazen White Jr., and I'm proud to support this great program and Rhode Island PBS.